Any better? Yes. All right. It's so wonderful seeing familiar faces because you are familiar. I think I know everybody that's here today. It's always, always wonderful being with God's wonderful people. Let us have a word of prayer before this morning's message. Heavenly Father, today we are here to give you glory and honor, and we are here to worship you because we love you, because you love us. And Lord, we know that someday you will give us the glory that is yours. This is what we look forward to, Lord, and that is to see you for the first time. So Lord, I pray that you will be with each one of us as we worship here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Jedediah, for sharing that Bible text with us this morning, because it's the theme of my uh, message today. Glorification. We shall see Jesus. Amen. There is no doubt about that, because we are his people. Glorification is a process of receiving glory. I like the sound of that, a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a single day. It happens through time. In fact, it happens when we see Jesus. Glory is defined as fame or renown. I know only one person that has this. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has fame and renown. And we know that he's our creator and our savior. Also, it is a manifestation of God's presence. That's a big word, manifestation. I can break it down to this. It is God showing us his presence spiritually. Do you know that he is the audience of our worship this morning. We're worshiping him, and he is with us. We've invited him to be with us. Amen. I love to be in God's presence. I know you do as well. I know you do as well. Amen. Glory is used 148 times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Every time I looked up, that information, it always came out, so I have got to go with the 148. Glory is a very important word. It's a vo very important truth that we have in the Bible. It is maybe a doctrine. And in the Seventh-day Adventist beliefs, which we will be studying one day in our Tuesday night, prayer meetings, we will go through that step by step. The uh, salvation experience. I know we've all experienced some sort of salvation. Like I said, it is a process. 
Paul says about receiving God's glory in the first chapter of Colossians. And I welcome you to look that up. Chapter 1, verse 27 of Colossians. This is a, a smaller book that Paul wrote uh, to that uh, particular church. Colossians 1.27. That's the text I wanted. I don't think it's, I don't. Oh, okay, yeah, it is. I was looking at a different text. <coughs> to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the gracious, gracious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Who is our hope? Who is the glory? It is Jesus Christ. Now Paul also writes to uh, the church in the Philipp uh, Philippians, and it's found in chapter 3. Yeah, chapter 3 of Philippians. Yeah. This text also... Uh, Paul writes about the, the glory. I bet you all have it by now. Okay. Paul is very serious about this glorification that Christ is going to give to us. He says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all of this, which of course is God's glory, or have already been made perfect. We are not perfect, and we know that. But I press on to hold, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but there's one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's look forward to Christ's coming. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus now, now we can only do that spiritually, but one day we will do that physically and spiritually. I look forward to that day. I know you do as well. There are three steps in redemption, in the plan of redemption, in our salvation. Three steps. We don't want to make too many steps here, but three. Number one, justification. We are justified at our forgiveness. How long does that take? A moment? But we have to have daily moments of being forgiven. We're not perfect, but we are forgiven in Christ. We know that. We know that what forgives us is Christ's shed blood. So 
there's justification. He justifies us just as if we had never sinned. Number two, sanctification. And we receive that after a whole lifetime of being justified. Daily justification. Number three in this process of our salvation, it's glorification. And that comes on not until Christ's second coming. At the resurrection, we will see Jesus and we will see him face to face. We have a man in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that uh, he followed God. He shared with God in this three-step process of salvation. I know that you've read about him, you know about him. Um, his life is written about in the Second Kings. Chapter 2. I won't be reading the whole chapter, but I will be talking about this man and how faithful he was. We know him by the name of Elijah and the great triumph he had at Mount Carmel. And it was all over the first commandment that God has given us, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The king and the queen, Ahab, Jezebel, they worshipped a false god, a dead god, Baal. And he had hundreds, I don't know what was it, 300 or so high priests or priests that did all this worshipping. False worship, because Baal is not living. And there's other gods that aren't living. Egypt had plenty of gods not living. And the sun, they, Egyptians, they, they worship the sun. And the sun, of course, is not a god. It's something God created. False worship is usually surrounded by worshiping the created things, whether it be people or whether it be rocks or altars that are not alive. Elijah was faithful, even though he ran away from somebody that scared him a lot, which was the, the queen, Jezebel. And God followed him. God was never far from Elijah. Elijah was a man of God. Elijah basically trusted God to take care of him, protect him, Nobody could just walk into the palace of the king Ahab and speak to him without being announced first. But no, Elijah just appeared. And by the time he had finished talking with Ahab, he'd already left. Ahab couldn't do anything. You know that Jesus was there. God was taking care of him. And you know, before Elijah's time was finished on this earth, and yes, he had a little bit of time left over, Elijah had to train somebody. You know who he had to train, Jedediah? Elisha. Elisha, that's right. He too was a man of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. Elisha, he wanted to learn everything he could from Elijah. 
He wanted something Elijah had. He wanted a double portion of the blessings that God had given him. And Elijah basically tried to leave him in certain cities on his way to meet God. They stopped at one place. They stopped at another place. Elisha would not leave his sight, would not leave his sight. I don't think Elisha knew what was happening, but I think Elijah did. Well, Elijah was trying to tell Elisha, my time is short. That kind of sounds like somebody I've read about in the Gospels of the New Testament. My time here is short. Not that I can compare him, but what I can say is that he's a wonderful example of glorification. Finally, they had gone as far as they were going to go outside the city. And in verse 11, if you have your Bibles turned to 2 Kings, chapter 11, it says, as they were walking along and talking together, you know, they were great friends. One was the one that was doing all of the mentoring, and one was the one that was learning. Elisha had learned a lot, and I don't think he realized he was going to say goodbye. And then, suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated Elijah and Elisha. Now, that surprised them both, because after all, it happened so suddenly. I don't think they had any expectations. Right away, Elijah was caught up into the chariot, and he was whisked to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha could not go. He wasn't, you know, taken into the chariot. He was left behind. And on the way, Elijah left his mantle. What a wonderful gift, plus the double blessings. Elijah was whisked to heaven. Do you realize that when you are translated without seeing death, you are glorified? You are glorified. And there are two ways that you're going to be glorified. One of them is translation, and one is resurrection. And we know that there's going to be a resurrection, and Christ is coming again. What kind of God's people will be there? Those that are sleeping in Jesus, they are in the grave, and those who are awake and living, they are glorified at Christ's coming. Well, you ask, what about Elijah? Well, who do you think had all those plans about getting Elijah into a chariot? And it's amazing because I think their travel was very short. Elijah left this earth, next thing you know, He's entering the gates of heaven. He was glorified. When I think of men or people in the Bible, I can't think of too many that have been more faithful to God. His faith was so, so much in God that he was willing to die. He was willing to die. He could have been killed at any moment on Mount Carmel, and it was his sacrifice that God burned, that God was pleased with. And the prayer life of Elijah 
again throughout his life, he's being sanctified and God knew it was time for him to be glorified. Elijah could have been killed instead of having to wait for the death warrant from, from Jezebel. We know that Elijah is in heaven and I have some uh, interesting words to talk about Elijah later on. Another man in the Bible, he wrote five books of the Bible. I know Jedediah, you know those books. What are those books? In the first five books of the Bible. Yeah, what are those books? Yeah, I know you knew it, Catherine. Anyways, you know who I'm talking about. Let's turn to Exodus 34. Yes, it's about Moses. It's not his whole life, because I could not finish my message if it was his whole life. Moses was known as the deliverer, and we know why. He delivered Israel with God's help from the vice grip of Egypt. Chapter 34 and going to verse 29. Moses had been spending time with Jesus in the mountain. He spent a lot of time in the mountain and he put his brother Aaron in charge and he probably should have put uh, um, Joshua in charge. And, but high priests, he put his brother in charge. And verse 29, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. His face was shining. Moses, and I guess it, it just made his whole being shine, and we know that he was being glorified. He was being sanctified. Moses is a special person in the Bible. It took him maybe 80 years before he knew the will of God, but he did know it, and he learned to be humble. If it's one thing we learn to be we need to learn to be humble. We need to be humble like Jesus when he washed Peter's feet. Humility is a strength. And if it's something that God is, teaches us in his character, it's a strength. Many people disguise it as weak. It's the opposite of weak. Being humble to serve God and others is a strength. So he was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He was in the Lord's presence on the mount. The mount we know as Sinai or um, God's mountain. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, shiny, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them all the commands 
the Lord had given him on Sinai. You know, it says Moses actually brought a second set because the first set he didn't keep around very long. He was angry because of Israel breaking the first commandment or the second or the third, either or, they all work for me. In fact, it was building an idol, a golden calf, and he threw the tablets, the two tablets that contained the Ten Commandments. Yeah, Moses, he was shining. I don't know anybody, I've never seen anybody shining like that. That's true shining. Let's back up a chapter, chapter 33. Exodus 33, verse 18, 19, and 20. And then Moses said, show me your glory. You know, when Moses asked God, show me your glory, God, if he shows us his glory, then we receive his glory. Showing and receiving. Show me your glory. And you know, he was on the mountain, the mountain of God. And verse 19 says, The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So Moses, he saw God all right. He saw his form. He saw the back of God, but not his face. And so he came down from the mountain, and all of Israel, they recognized that Moses had been with God. Now, Moses is an example of one glorified because he was resurrected. Now, in the Bible, there is a text. And I know I keep asking Jedediah, do you know where that text is? About Moses, and it's in Book of Jude. You can turn to it, verse 9. Nowhere else in the Bible I've found... Have you find, found anything in the Bible, Jamie, about the um, resurrection of Moses? Only in Jude. Only in Jude. Okay. <laughs> Say what? Yes. And I'm going to come to that. I'm going to come to that. Jude is very short. But let's take a look at Jude verse 9. That's the one before Revelation, and it's only one chapter, so it's just Jude verse 9. Even the archangel Michael, that's Jesus, that's Jesus, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, and going on it says, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said the Lord rebuke you. Who was he rebuking? Satan. 
Obviously, it was the devil. It was Satan. And, of course, the text says the devil. But we'll take any other uh, name because it's always the, the dragon, Lucifer. But he had no chance to keep Moses. And he knew if he couldn't keep Moses there, he'd lost. That Moses was God's um, person that he had glorified, that he had saved in that process of salvation. It's interesting that the brother of Jesus would write that. Jude, he wrote that. Jude, brother of Jesus, yes. Anyways, that's very interesting, I find, about Moses and his resurrection. And again, the book I mentioned, that I made uh, mention of earlier, in the doctrines, fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, it has that information, that if you're translated or you're resurrected, you are glorified. Now, another person in the Bible, he's found in a particular um, book or chapter that Paul wrote. We're not sure who wrote all of Hebrews, but Hebrews, the faith chapter, uh, verse 5. You want to take a look at Hebrews 11.5? 11, 5? Have I mentioned that person's name? Enoch. Ah, Enoch. Enoch. It says here in 11, Hebrews 11, 5, by faith Enoch when taken from this life so that he did not experience death, he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. You know, it's very interesting uh, the study of the life of Enoch. Genesis 5, it tells us that he walked with the Lord for 300 years, 300 years, and he pleased Jesus. He walked with him. Now, if you were to look up Ellen White's book on uh, the patriarchs and the prophets, there is a mention of Enoch, Enoch spent his life in two places. Two places. One was in the throng, which is being amongst people. Some who are God's people, some who are not, but with people. The other part of his life, he spent in the mountain. You know the exact same thing is said about Jesus? When he walked this earth in his ministry, for three and a half years, we read in another book, Desire of Ages, that Jesus spent time in the mountain and in the throng or the multitude. And you know what Jesus did in his ministry with all the healing and the, all of the telling of the parables and his preaching, the sermons? Jesus did the same thing. What do you suppose Enoch was doing? What do you suppose Jesus was doing? when they went to the mountain, prayed, communed with God, 
Oh, yeah, didn't that fellow Moses commune with God? You better believe he communed with God. Enoch communed with God. Enoch was translated. The Bible says right here, he did not experience death. One moment, I think there might be something here for me to drink. Yes, I'm going to speak about that, too. So Enoch was translated, and he received God's glory. Okay, now that you're so interested, and you want to know more about this story in the Bible, it's about Jesus, found in Matthew 17. You know... There are many things that we can mention when, or names that we can mention about Jesus. My favorite happened to be my savior. Another one, my creator. There's so many other things, bread of life, the water of life. You can keep going and going. But let's turn to Matthew 17. Jesus had started his ministry but there was one thing he hadn't had done yet, and he did it to be our example. Jesus was our example in all things. And if it was Jesus that said or did something, and we do that the same, you can rest assured that we are Christians because we follow Jesus. Matthew 17, starting with the first verse. You know, Jesus, he had, I don't want to say favorite, but he had the close relationship with three, just three, disciples. We know those disciples. What are their names? Peter, James, and John. There you go, Peter, James, and John. <laughs> So anyways, after six days had gone by, it really doesn't matter much, but he'd been with the disciples, but he waited about a week, and he took Peter, James, and John. And you know, James and John were brothers. They were brothers. And they weren't very nice brothers when Jesus met them. They were always filled with anger. They loved to threaten people. You know, they, they weren't very good. But God doesn't call those who are equipped. He calls those that he wants to equip. He doesn't call perfect people. He calls flawed people. So he's got Peter, James, and John, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. It doesn't say the mountain. It doesn't say which mountain, but it was high. And in verse 2, it says, And there he was transfigured before them. And the next uh, words say, His face shone like the sun, 
his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses, and we've already looked at Moses today, and Elijah talking with Jesus. Jesus knew these men. He's standing right next to them, or he's probably transfigured. He has gone in to the area where the two uh, men are, Moses and Elijah. And then we hear a voice coming down from heaven saying, this is my son, Jesus, in whom I am well pleased. Boy, Peter, James, and John, they thought, my goodness, this is quite an event. Why don't we just camp out here? Well, that's not what Jesus wanted. You know, he talked about building a shelter, but that's not why they were there. They were there to have Jesus be their example of one who's been with God and who has been glorified. Jesus could be glorified. He was a human. Jesus is the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. I love that story about the transfiguration. Now, you know, Jesus, he is an example of one who's glorified. Well, he was glorified on that mountain, but he was glorified again. Who can tell me when Jesus was glorified again? He rose from the dead at the resurrection after he'd spent a, a weekend in a tomb that wasn't even his. So he was resurrected. So Elijah translated, Enoch translated, Moses resurrected, Jesus resurrected. How can we not trust Jesus that we too will be glorified? He's already done it. Why wouldn't he do it again for all of his people, all of his remnant? I kind of skipped one person, not on purpose. I just decided at the last minute, but I did want to talk about a, a certain man we find in the book of Acts, and we find him in chapter 6 and chapter 7. Yeah. And who can guess who I'm talking about here? Stephen, yes. And Stephen had just been selected. What was he selected for? A deacon, right. And what was he doing? Was he preaching a gospel? Well, of course. My goodness. I tell every elder I meet, you know elders preach. But now I think I'll have to change that. You know the deacons preach. Look at, I don't want to boast about this, but if I'm boasting, it's in what God has done. But my daughter, she's come up and shared the word of God. She's a deaconess, but she's a head, head deaconess. And she shared the word of God. God has called all of us. In Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, go into all the world preaching the gospel. That means all of us all of us who are in God's remnant, yeah. Uh -huh. It means all of us. Going back to Stephen, his life story, 
He preached the gospel. We see that in Acts 6 and Acts 7. And he was told not to. And he was arrested and brought in front of the Sanhedrin. Who was the Sanhedrin at that time? What? Church leaders. Were they kind of like the law? Were they the law? Pretty close to it. They told him to stop it. And you know what? He went back out and started preaching. It was a wonderful sermon that he taught. He basically taught everything, Genesis through the crucifixion of Jesus. Now that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Acts 6, verse 5. Trying to get some context here. This is when they chose Stephen, a man that was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And that's all I wanted to say. A man of God, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I went through a lot of chapter 6. But in chapter 7, he was preaching. And you know that Sanhedrin and the church leaders were very angry with Stephen. You know, I will just let you know what the story tells us. He went on to preach this wonderful sermon, and when he was accused that he was preaching treason because he was preaching Jesus, they said, we think it's time for you to be stoned. And at that time, the face of Stephen, it shined. Now, I want to finish this message on what happened to Deacon Stephen. Verse 59. While they were stoning Stephen, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out. Now think about this thing he cried out. He was on his knees and he was saying a prayer to the Lord God. It was similar to Jesus when he was on the cross. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Is this what he's saying? He's asking for forgiveness of everybody throwing the stones. And at that, Stephen saw the Son of God. He saw the holy angels. His face was radiant and shining. And it says that when all this took place, he fell asleep. You know, we should take note of that word asleep. When we pass away, knowing that Christ is our Savior, our Creator, and we have faith in him, we don't really die for eternity. We sleep in the arms of Jesus. And so I want to briefly turn your minds to the verses that Jedediah read for us in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, listen up. This is Paul. This is a mystery. And it is a mystery. I don't know how this is going to happen, but we read about it. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, 
How much time is that? It's past. It's past. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. And at that moment, we will be made perfect in Christ Jesus. He has changed our sinful selves, sinful lives, and we have now taken on Christ's perfection. And we have been glorified. And I believe that all the saints will shine. And you'll know who the saints are. You'll know who they are. We will be changed from being corrupt people into being incorrupt and perfect. We will change from being mortal or not living for very long to being immortal. My prayer for you today is that you may find Jesus and be glorified with all the saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we worship you and we ask that you will set us in motion for the process of salvation. First of all, we have to acknowledge you as our Savior and we have to ask for forgiveness and that would be justification. We need to do it daily. We need to talk to the Lord daily, ask him for forgiveness of our sins, and that would be sanctification. And then when you come, Lord, we ask that we see you face to face. We believe it, and we look up for that time when we can turn our eyes upon Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. The uh, closing song today